Greetings and salutations, fellow nerds. Welcome back to the intersection of science, history, and the unexplained, where we ask what in the Sam Hill is going on out there. This week, we have a bit of a mini episode on the Memphis rap sigils. Thank you to Lilith Pritchett on Twitter for the topic recommendation. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find as much information as I normally like, hence the mini episode. Google Trends shows no traffic on this topic before 2017, so it's pretty new, only about five years old, and it's only found in message boards, blogs, and YouTube videos, so there isn't much investigative reporting on this conspiracy theory. Regardless, we are going to jump into it and see what we can sort out. The story of Memphis rap as a distinct subgenre of hip-hop begins around the time I was born, actually, at the beginning of the 1990s. Memphis is a bit of an odd town anyway, with Graceland and the assassination of Martin Luther King, as well as the odd architecture, the most obvious example of which is the giant pyramid now occupied by a Bass Pro Shops. But in the 1990s, Memphis had a crazy high crime rate, with about 200 murders a year, making it one of the most dangerous cities in America. Out of that bloodbath grew a hip-hop movement called Horrorcore, which used dark, violent, graphic, and even satanic imagery and lyrics. They also sampled horror movie soundtracks, giving the music an eerie quality. Most of the scene remained underground, recording their albums on cassette tapes, but some artists did grow to be household names in the 2000s, most notably the 3-6 Mafia. Fast forward to 2017, when people on 4chan's paranormal message board began to comment on something known as the Memphis Rap Sigils. A combination of legend and rumor, the theory goes that the satanic aesthetic wasn't just an aesthetic that the artists of the Memphis scene were actual Satanists that used chaos magic in their work. Supposedly, someone in the scene performed a ritual murder and recorded it, then inserted samples of that murder in their music and their friends' music to harness the life force of the victim for their own intentions, which I presume would be to become rich and famous. There are eight-ish tapes that are said to have this energy built into them, though the list isn't concrete. The generally agreed upon eight tapes are Goin' Undercover by Lil Ramsey in 1994, The World of a Psycho by Maniac in 1994, Livin' in a Casket by HOH in 1995, The Return of Psycho by Psycho in 1995, The Single by Children of the Corn in 1995, 1995 by Mr. Tinnymane in 1995, Wanted Dead or Alive by Ten Wanted Men in 1995, and N-Words of Destruction by NOD in 1996. Some have even claimed that the murder recorded was actually the infamous West Memphis Three murders, which occurred in 1993, though I found no evidence of that. By listening to the music, fans would be adding their own energy to these chaos magic sigils, and that energy would fuel the intentions of the artist. The thing of it is, this is supposedly only linked to the physical tapes, something which are increasingly hard to find as time takes its toll, but that energy is not linked to the modern streaming versions of these songs that have been uploaded to YouTube and the like. 
Skeptics have argued that the horrorcore motifs were just an edgy aesthetic and that none of these artists were actual practitioners of dark magic. Some of the tracks have even been debunked as being of a specific horror movie, but let's go through it. Firstly, you'll notice that none of the eight tapes I listed are by the same artist. That's a red flag to me. The idea that one person is into some dark occult practices is reasonable. The idea that everyone in the scene was, while also it remaining a well-kept secret, seems less reasonable. I was able to find that an artist named Tommy Wright III was either an artist or producer on several of the tracks, but I couldn't link him to all of the tracks. Another red flag to me on this is that none of the tracks linked to the supposed sigils are done by the most commercially successful group in the scene, 3-6 Mafia. So none of the artists linked to this supposed phenomenon got rich or famous. Tommy Wright III, for example, is still an underground artist. Who sells their soul to the devil and gets nothing in return? I mean, that justifies logic. I also want to briefly mention that Tommy has no visible tattoos, including no occult tattoos. And he looks like just your average black guy with long hair. Compare this to, say, Marilyn Manson, who has multiple occult-related tattoos, including a sigil of Lucifer on his hand. Fun fact, the sigil of Lucifer turned on its side and without the curly cues is the Google Play logo. Yes, our corporate overlords are occultists. Anyway, it's hard to make the case for Tommy Wright III, evil Satanist, when there isn't a Robert Johnson at the Crossroads success story or an obvious Marilyn Manson lifelong relationship with the occult. We have more evidence that Damien Eccles of the West Memphis Three case was a practicing occultist in the mid-1990s than we do for Tommy Wright III or any of the other artists with tracks listed. And finally, I don't think the Memphis rap sigils phenomenon as described accurately reflects chaos magic practices, or at least it doesn't reflect the chaos magic that I have studied. Typically, a sigil is going to be a visual symbol representing your concept. For example, the first real sigils of modern chaos magic would be the Seals of Solomon, and you've got 72 seals that each represent the name of a different demon. Having a sigil be audio only, with no visual component, and it not be something of your own creation, but just a sample of an actual murder, seems odd. When rock and roll artists have created songs or albums as sigils, it's not a sample in the background that creates the power. There's a whole concept involved, including not just the music and lyrics that they create, but also the album art. Plus, in chaos magic, as in all magic, intention is the key. So to have the intention and energy be present in the physical tapes, but not in other forms of the song, seems, quite frankly, bullshit. My impression is that this rumor came about either by someone who had a few copies of these physical tapes and wanted to increase their value, or they came about by someone looking for a smokescreen. Which brings me to a YouTube documentary created by Koopsta Nika of 3-6 Mafia, where he discussed his experience with the scene at the time. You may remember that I mentioned 3-6 Mafia as the most famous export of the Memphis horrorcore scene. 3-6, or Triple Six, was formed in 1991 by Juicy J and brothers DJ Paul and Lord Infamous. Koopstanika joined in 1994, 
and Gangsta Boo and Crunchy Black joined in 1995. Their 1995 debut album Mystic Styles is considered quintessential Memphis horrorcore hip-hop. Much of their mainstream success happened in the mid-2000s, after Koopstanika and Gangsta Boo left the group. With Koopstanika leaving the group as a result of incarceration and the resulting inability to fulfill his contracts. Sadly, Lord Infamous passed away in 2013 due to heart attack, and Koopstanika passed away in 2015 due to stroke. The documentary we are about to discuss was filmed in 2013 in conjunction with the release of one of Koopsta's last projects, solo album Aliens vs. Humans. This is Koopstanika's story. Koopsta was born in Memphis in 1975 and grew up during the tumultuous crack epidemic. He had an abusive stepfather and left home in his early teens, coming up in the foster care system. Surrounded by Christians who were either trash humans or who continually suffered no matter how much they prayed, Koopsta rebelled against the concept of God. Instead, he fell into the study of what he was taught was God's opposite, Satan. He admits to having many satanic books and even went so far in the practice as to have a ritual dagger and other accoutrements. He does make the distinction, though, that he was a quote-unquote clean Satanist and never involved himself in any rituals that included bodily fluids. He made a point in the documentary to say, when I said what I said, I meant it, which to me indicates that the majority of the people in the Memphis scene weren't really practicing magicians and instead were just putting on horrorcore as an aesthetic. Koopsta then went on to describe an odd experience that the 3-6 group had when attempting to shoot the cover for Mystic Styles in downtown Memphis. On the first attempt, the cops came by and rousted them, saying, you really don't want to be down here. On the second attempt, it got even weirder. In an abandoned warehouse across the street, they spotted a group of robed individuals performing an occult ritual around an altar, except the group did not rouse them as the cops did but instead made the three six bear witness to the ritual. Koopsta said, based on his experience, there are absolutely very real occult practices happening in Memphis by rich and powerful people, including local politicians. And from his story, it appears those people are at least under the awareness, if not the direct protection of the local police. This certainly throws a different light on the case of the West Memphis Three, which was itself wrapped in satanic panic. Damien Eccles, one of the three accused in the West Memphis Three case, very clearly was, and still is, an active occult practitioner. Actually, bless his heart, he kind of looks like something out of Twilight. But if a larger, more powerful group of occultists is active in the city, it is always possible that they performed the murder and blamed the three teens, or possibly encouraged Damien and his friends to perform the murders as a rite of passage. I'm sure that since the three entered their Alford pleas in 2011 and a judge recently rejected their request to have access to the evidence for independent DNA testing, that the case is considered solved and we will never know the truth. You also have to wonder if the occult elite of the city facilitated the rise of 3-6 in order to use them for their purposes. Koopsta said in the documentary that he strongly feels that Satan used him and the Memphis scene in order to make black people feel comfortable with Satan's name and his presence in the culture. The occult goings-on are not limited to Memphis, though. It appears there is a larger hierarchy at play, especially in the entertainment world. 
In the documentary, Koopsta discussed the phenomenon of straight men being asked to and performing homosexual acts to move up the ladder. He himself was presented with an opportunity to engage in homosexual acts in New York, but turned it down, and he felt this decision negatively impacted his career. He said it's always presented first as a joke to see how you react, but that it is a rite of passage. Now, it's possible that this isn't necessarily for occult purposes. Maybe one of the higher-ups is just a gay Harvey Weinstein type. It's not like the entertainment industry has clean hands. It also reminds me of ancient armies where they encouraged homosexual relationships among the men as they felt it would make the soldiers fight harder for one another if they were in romantic attachments. But it also falls into a larger trend that Hotep Jesus has noted where capital T they are always trying to get black men to publicly wear dresses and act effeminately. And it also falls into Aleister Crowley's sex magic rituals, where he basically thought of the anus as a portal of sorts. So I don't think that the Memphis rap sigils are real. I think they are either a capitalist bait and hook scenario, a la Elon Musk and Dogecoin, to make the original tapes more valuable, or they are a smokescreen for the other occult practices in the city. What is clear to me is that there is very much an occult undercurrent both in Memphis and on a much larger scale, and I think we would all benefit from being more careful about the energies attached to the various aspects of pop culture that we let into our daily lives. Before we go, I wanted to add a thought on the changelings I had discussed a few episodes ago. I was listening to Jordan from Fireside Paranormal Podcast interview the incomparable Barry Fitzgerald. If you haven't listened to Jordan's work, go check him out. 10 out of 10 recommend. He's great. Anyway, Barry has been doing research into various fields within the unexplained realms, including UFOs, the Fae, cryptids, and the paranormal. And he has found that at least some aspects of all of these are manifestations of the same phenomenon something I will be calling Phalians from now on. Anyway, something Barry said got me thinking. He said that the Phalians truly hate iron, and the most prone people to a Phalian attachment are menstruating women. He posits this is because of the tendency toward anemia or lack of iron during menstruation. Now, I was thinking that the changelings were misdiagnosed kids and women with anemia, but I'm not entirely sure that's the full story. What if the anemia is causing the Phalian attachment? It's interesting to think about how many cultures consider a menstruating woman spiritually unclean and in need of ritual cleansing in order to rejoin the society following menstruation. I've always chalked it up to misogyny or a lack of understanding of basic reproductive biology, but silly me should have known the ancients weren't as dumb as they sometimes seem. These cultures may have understood that menstruating women were targets for the Phalians and thus a temporary risk to others until they could recover from the anemia and be ritually cleansed of any Phalian attachment. At the very least, it's an interesting hypothesis that deserves further study. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Take a gander at the show notes for all the good links. I will see you next week for an episode on the Georgia Guidestones. If you didn't know, there was a bombing this week and the remaining stones were left unstable, so the Georgia Guidestones are no more. 
I'm hoping that we will have more information about the bombing coming out in the next week so that I can present all of it to you from beginning to end. Stay tuned for that. Until next time, may you never stop asking, what in the Sam Hill? <laughs> <laughs>